You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Are we on? Yep, there we go. Good morning, everybody. How are you? You are probably more excited to be here today than I am. <laughs> well, yeah, I have the honor and privilege to be with you this morning, especially in this context, which is outside of the norm for me, and I'll say, albeit somewhat terrifying, but uh, I believe that God has a word for us. He's been working on me throughout this week, and, and I'm, I'm pretty confident, well, I'm a little hot here, I don't know what I got to do, uh, I'm pretty confident that if he works in you through the word today that he has in me this week, it, it, it's going to be really fun and encouraging, it's also going to be really tough. That's the honest truth. For me, I don't, I don't think my number one characteristic when somebody meets me is like, wow, that guy's super loving. I mean, bald head, beard. I fall more on the intimidating side of that spectrum. And uh, that's not always good. So I was sharing with others this morning that that is kind of the reality for me is my, my natural bend is probably not to be loving. And that is what we'll be talking about today. I got to like really figure this out. Wait, are we good? Can you guys hear that when it's like, okay. Maybe that's just God like really coming to us. So anyways, the purpose of this sermon will, will prove to be effective uh, if what happens in me this week happens to you today. So I guess the question is, what is true love? There we go. We're good. I think we all have some r- random definition of that, but does true love really exist? If so, what is it? Where do we find it? If we find it, how do we know that it's real? I remember growing up, and pretty much every girl in, like, middle school and high school was, like, this, this seek for, like, true love. And guys are running around terrified, you know what I mean? But what is it? I mean, the, the words get thrown around. We attribute it to everything else, which I'll get to. Are these not the questions, though, that we've thought and asked ourselves or maybe even discussed with our family and friends? Or is true love just another intangible thing that we desire but can never really know, grasp, or understand? I guess before I get too far ahead of myself, uh, I need to define love, at least discuss a couple examples of its definition. So according to the Oxford Dictionary, love is an intense feeling of deep affection. An example of that that they give is babies fill parents with feelings of love. Or the Oxford Dictionary also says, love is a great interest and pleasure in something. An example of that is his love for football. According to dictionary.com, this will be the last one, hang with me. Love is a strong feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection, such as for a parent, child, friend, or pet. An example of this is he bent and kissed his newborn daughter on the brow, her heart, or sorry, his heart full of love and gratitude. So this thing called love, as I've just described in those definitions, is something that has essentially been prescribed to everything. I'm sure you hear people say that all the time. Man, I love my job. Man, I love mountain biking. Man, I love football. All these things. You love your husband or wife. You love your boyfriend or girlfriend. You love your parents and kids, extended family members, your pets, hobbies, activities, careers, occupations, sports, games, etc., etc., etc. Like we, we've overused that word in so, many, in so many ways. And is that not the experience of our everyday lives? The elusive pursuit of love, happiness, contentment, fulfillment in every and anything we do or experience? You know as well as I do that this so-called love 
is fleeting at best, kind of square peg, round hole, always holes, always gaps. If you're like me growing up, I was saved later in my life, but you try to fill that with just about anything and everything you possibly can. You feel the void. You're just wondering, like, how do we fulfill that? What do we do? So I think the question we need to ask ourselves is, what if? What if you could have an experience, true love, everywhere you went? Your life would be transformed. The lives of those around you would be transformed. Your street would be transformed. This city, province, and country would be transformed. Nothing would ever look the same. That sounds unbelievable. The question is, is that the reality? The unfortunate question I asked myself this week, and I think you need to, I believe you need to answer for yourself today as well, is, is that true of you? Could I come to your street and see you and, and like, you and all of the love that you embody around all of your neighbors? And they're like, man, that guy is so loving. Maybe they won't even say it. It would just be, be obvious, evident. And because you're so loving, other people are loving and their lives are transformed and it pours out. And then your community is known within the city to be unbelievably loving, gracious, kind. Is that, like, again, this wrecked me this week. Is that true of me? No. That's a, that's a problem. Is that true of you? Unfortunately, maybe, maybe not though. Lord willing, that is the case. So I guess I'm getting off on a rant here. <laughs> Before I do that, I can clearly get passionate. Um, Before I do that, let's pray, and uh, we'll get into it. Father God, you are the author and perfecter of life and love. Lord, you are the greatest example of this. I pray, Father, that that your word would penetrate the hearts and minds of those here today as you did me this week. Lord, I pray that you would be magnified, that you would use a, a sinful, reckless person like myself to proclaim your truth, that I do so boldly, Lord, in a way that would honor and glorify you. I pray that we leave here today, Father, changed and more Christ-like than when we arrived. pray these things in Jesus' name. So today, Lord willing, we'll start and see what true love looks like through the power of the Spirit and the fact that you can experience true love in your life. So as I was just alluding to, I'll start with this. I personally have nothing for you today. I'd actually rather be in your seat than mine as I started with. Uh, But God's word has the power and ability to change lives. And regardless of my own thoughts and fears in doing something like this, I wouldn't want to keep that from anybody. So let's ensure we all have our Bibles. If you forgot your Bible at home today, just raise your hand. The ushers will be sure to get you one. Here we go. It's important you have that. I I mean, I literally have nothing for you. God's word is is what is going to impact your life, not right natures. And if for whatever reason you don't own a Bible, literally keep the one that they're giving you. Consider it a gift. And as you all know from Pastor Michael's preaching last week, or minimally from the intro video, if you weren't here last week, we're into our summer sermon series titled Gospel Impact, The Spirit Working In and Through You. It worked in and through me this week, for sure. Uh, I'm personally very excited about this series, and uh, can we all agree that Pastor Michael did an incredible job last week, laying the foundation for all of us to be more Christ-like in our walk, truly impacted in our lives. This series is intended, as he wrapped up last week, he said, this series is intended to challenge and encourage every one of us to be a man or woman of each fruit that will be covered over the next several weeks. So let's do a quick recap of of what Pastor Michael started with. It was Galatians 5.22, it reads, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. So we'll obviously be discussing love today, first of um, the fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians. So let's dive in. The question that's posed is, what is true love? Understanding true love requires three things. First, you must know the source. I, I kind of referenced it earlier. Do you know anybody that doesn't want to be loved? I mean, just think through that. You meet anybody. It's like that. If, if you're a hugger, you're all over people, right? <laughs> great up in there. If you're not, you're like, hey, it's great. I love you. Stay away. Um, again, the terrifying side, I'm more like, I'm good. I'm just, I'll, I'll avoid you over here. But how can we be loved if we don't even know what love is or where it comes from? Like I was saying, we prescribe that word to everything. Especially, this, this kind of got me because of just day-to-day life and who we're around. Especially if you've amalgamated our definition of love with that of the world, and we generically use the same powerful word to describe everything the exact same. So first, let's see what the Bible says about loving God in order to know its source. You can turn with me to 1 John 4, 7 and 8. That's 1 John 4, 7 and 8. It says, it reads, starting in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves God, sorry, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So although God is described in many ways in the Bible, loving, kind, patient, glorious, majestic, omnipotent, or all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, all-present, there are only a few times the Bible describes God in terms of what he is. We're told that God is spirit in John 4.24. That he is light in 1 John 1.5. And that he is love in 1 John 4.8, which is what we just read. And in 1 John 4.16. Note that he's described as love twice. And the second time is just a handful of verses after the first, which reads, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So in these verses, love is defined not as an action or even a character trait, but an essential part of who who God is. Like, he is love. He embodies love. I personally love, through my study this week, how Christopher Wright says it in his book, Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit. He says, all that God does or says is ultimately an expression of his love. I'll reread that. All that God says or does is ultimately an expression of his love. Therefore, God's love is not independent of his other attributes, rather, of, sorry, rather all of his attributes are marked and characterized by love because God is love. And now immediately after those first verses, John tells us that God is love. When he's telling us God is love, he continues by telling us that love sacrificially gives. See the next couple of verses. John, uh, 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If you're like me and you didn't grow up in the church, propitiation is a means of reconciliation with God by an atoning sin, by atoning for sins or a sin offering, or as it reads in the NIV, an atoning sacrifice. God displayed his love for us by sending us Jesus. I'm not sure if you caught that when I was reading those verses, But he didn't only send us Jesus, which is love made manifest here on earth, but he sent us Jesus, his one and only son, to die in our place, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is love, and God's love gives. 
sacrificially. You want to talk about true love? That's it. The thing that wrecked my life back in 2005 was a, a true knowledge and understanding that God came into this world, lived a perfect life for people like me, just terrible sinners. And it, it just radically transformed my life. I wept like a schoolgirl. I don't know if that's appropriate to say, but that's what I did. Really, I said that, I'm like, that might be offensive, sorry. Uh, yeah, that gets me every time. I'm like on the brink right now. If you had any idea who I was for the majority of my life pre-Christ, there's like, you want to talk about love? The fact that I'm here right now, that's loving. I should be dead for sure. Like with great certainty. Didn't expect that. Anyways, uh, you never have and you never will experience a greater love than that, ever. Not your husband or wife, not your kids, not your newborn baby, nothing. Nothing will even come close. Nothing parallels. There is no second. There is no substitute. That is it. God is love and God loves you. So now I'm going to be very honest with you. One of my greatest struggles in my own life is people like me prior to Christ who have the audacity to utter things in questions like, how do you know that God loves us? To be honest as well, since I've, since I've been saved and been coming to church, people within the church that question whether or not God loves them. Like it's the whole Bible. The entire thing just radiates God loves you. So if there's one thing I'm 100% rock solid certain about, you probably tell, is that God loves you. Because if God could love somebody like Paul or somebody like me, uh, trust me, he could love you. I relate more to Paul being like the chief sinner. When I read those things, I'm like, man. It's interesting. So I can say that with great confidence because God the Father gave his only son. I have a son and a daughter. I would not give them up for anything. Nothing. Zero. And God willingly gave his only son for somebody like me and you. And the Son of God willingly gave himself, willingly sacrificed himself to save us, me and you, from eternal death. To give us, me and you, eternal life. I didn't even understand eternal life. When, when I first came to like a knowledge of this, I was just blown away that God, in all of his power and majesty, would love somebody like me. And if you're honest with yourself, somebody like you. Now, I know me, and you know you, right? I'm, I'm kind of giving you a, a small snapshot. You're like, wow, that guy's life was a mess. <laughs> but I know me, you know you. All of our failures and shortcomings. So turn with me to one of the most well-known verses in or outside of the church to see how God the Father displays his love for you. I'm crying, I'm a mess up here. Turn with me to John 3.16, a verse we all know. I'm not talking about stone-cold Steve Austin. I don't want to know what that guy's punishment is going to be. Anyways, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. That was me pre-2005. Terrifying to consider now. 
because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Additionally, turn with me, sounds similar, but it's not, uh, to 1 John 3.16. I had no idea that prior to this study that those two verses are just like that, but anyways. Again, that is John first, uh, 1 John 3.16, to see how God the Son displays his love for you. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. As I was saying, Jesus came and lived a sinless life and willingly sacrificed and suffered an abundance of torment and died on a cross for you and, for you and your sins and me and my sins. The big but. This is like, I was, but, you know, and God, all that. But praise God, three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering death, making a way for you and I to be reconciled to God. You should have all just jumped up and like freaked out. Probably inappropriate, but that, that deserves like a massive celebration. Got to gather myself here. So when by his, sorry, yeah, to be reconciled to God, when by his grace we repent of our sins and we're saved. You see, God's love saves. Again, are you catching this church? Christ died for us while we were still sinners. While I was me in all of my brokenness, in all of my sin, in all the things I was doing to hurt myself and other people. In all of that, God died for me in that state. For you in that state, whatever that state is for you. Romans 5, 8 reads, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I've had numerous conversations with people and this is where this next little sentence comes from. There's no need to clean up your act or a requirement of getting your ducks in a row. That, number one, they're never going to be in a row. If you're wondering, never. This is life. It's chaos. So if you're here today, regardless of the mess you're in or the stuff you're going through, just like me in 2005, you are loved. Now, if you're already in Christ, and I know a number of you are, then I'm confident that that is, that is and was the greatest news you've ever heard. However, if you don't know Jesus and haven't been saved by his grace, I just share with you numerous times the best news that you'll ever hear. I pray that you heard it. And I can say wholeheartedly, I feel like I'm going to cry again. This is ridiculous. If you want to talk about it afterwards, I'll be right down here. Pastor Mike will be back there. There'll be a whole bunch of people, different people up here with name tags that would love to pray for you. If that's not you, come down. And don't be weird or like, oh, I'm going to sneak out. Come down. I wept in the back, like I said, and my friend was like, I got to get somebody for you. He also didn't go to church, though. And he's like, you are a mess. And he came up here, grabbed one of the people that would have been here. It wasn't even here. It was in Nova Scotia. But he came here, grabbed somebody. He's like, hey, my buddy, mess. He's a mess. Just come take care of him. And he had to walk me through what was even going on in my own life. He's like, man, you all right? I'm like, clearly not. He's like, can I pray for you? I said, will it stop? He said, yeah, I'm like, pray. <laughs> So you see, although this is the best news you've ever heard and you're ever going to hear, church, this is not John's point in these verses. Again, I like how it's worded in cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. The cross is not only the means by which we are saved, but also the model for how we are to live. The cross is not the, only the means by which we are saved, but also the model for how we are to live. Look back at the second half 
of 1 John 3.16. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for, for the brothers. This shows us that true love involves sacrifice and is totally and wholly focused on the other person. Now turn the page over, depending on the size of your Bible. It might be on the same page, might not be. But turn the page over to 1 John 4.11. Beloved, if God loved, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God is love, and all love comes from God. God displayed his love for you and I by sending Jesus. And God calls us to love, love others out of a love for God. God is the beginning and end of that entire cycle. I don't love you because I just love you. I love you because God loved me. And it's an outpouring of that love. I'm certain you didn't love me. Or I, Actually, I'll give you a quick story. So when I was saved, the first day I showed up in church, a lady was there who had a Bible for me with my name on it. Never met this lady in my life, Carol. Kind of cool and really weird if you're me. So I'm coming in. She's like, she lost her mind. Oh my goodness, she's crying. I was like, maybe I should leave. And she's like, no, this is yours. This is yours. I'm going to cry right now again. I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean that's mine? I don't even know you. It clearly rough around the edges. Like this was like more of the real conversation. I'm like, I don't know you, lady. Why do you have a Bible for me? She watched me ridicule basketball players when I was in university. I'd be like the heckler guy in the stands. She watched me be an absolute mess, heckling for my team to hopefully have the other guys miss shots and stuff like that. Just ridiculous. But I was so outside of myself and so ridiculous, that lady started praying for me like two, three years prior to that day. Praying for me for three years, a lady I've never met in my life. I walk in, she's got a Bible for me. Like, man, God is amazing. He works through you. Like you, sitting in your seat. The people that you know, that I'll never meet, that Trevor will never meet, Pastor Michael will never meet. They only know you. You are their only in. And I love Carol. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm getting myself all off track here. So this, oh yeah, I said that. There we go. We're good. I'm about to go back. I'm like, don't do it. Therefore, considering the verses we've just read and in our effort to understand what true love really is, I would say Carol exemplifies that. Jesus' impact in Carol's life is such that she would love somebody like that. Again, this week, I'm like, man, I do not exemplify Carol. Like, I pray to, I pray to God that after this week, I'm very much like Carol. But this week, I was sharing with the guys, man, I was messed. I was a mess this week. So many times digging in, I'm like, this is not me. I'm challenging you, like, is it you? Do you love like that? Do you pray for people you don't know that are terrible humans? For years. And with great anticipation, have a Bible with their name on it. I've never done that. Yet that, that's what was done for me. The second thing that's required to understand true love is this. You must obey the command. If you're wondering what wrecked me this week, it's this. <laughs> it's one thing to know about it. It's another thing to do. Turn back a couple of pages. First John 3.23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. Now, I don't know about you, but where I grew up, 
Commands aren't like suggestions or hints. Like demands. Like necessary requirements. Whether that was, and I love my dad, but whether that was from my dad, whether it was from a coach, like whatever, a teacher, a principal, they were never like, hey, it'd be good if you probably did this. Maybe that's how it works nowadays, but not when I grew up. The hairline is depictive of that. So three times in John's gospel, he's recorded Jesus commanding his disciples to love one another. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Think about yourself, and I'm going to reread that because this got me. A new commandment. Remember the necessary requirement? I give you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as Christ has loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples or his disciples. If you have love for one another. John 15, 12. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17. These things I command you so that you will have love Sorry, so that you will love one another. Additionally, those of us who are in Christ today should be abiding in the great commandment, as recorded in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 22, 37 to 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I won't challenge you, but if we went home, if I went home with you today and we go talk to the neighbor, what, what's the outcome of that conversation? Would they say you're loving? Or would it be like, yeah, the garage opens, he drives in, the garage closes, never really see him. Therein lies most of Alberta, by the way. Again, it's winter, but like get outside of ourselves. Therefore, it's without a doubt that we are commanded to love. I mean, there's, there's a plethora of examples right there. Him saying, I command these things, which is for you to love. And as Jesus said in the great commandment, even to love others as ourselves. I like or think that Jerry Bridges does a great job summarizing this thought in his book, The Fruitful Life, when he writes, devotion to God is the only motivation acceptable to God for the development and exercise of Christian character. He then goes on to say, our devotion to God is validated by our love for other people. I'll use myself as an example. I would say that prior to this week's study, yeah, man, I'm loving. For sure. It's validated by your love for other people. My great intentions of loving others is not the same as actually loving others. Your great intentions of loving others is not the same as actually loving others. So this brings us back to my opening point and the question I asked myself throughout this week and the question I posed to you earlier. Do you love others in a way that is transforming you and the lives of the people around you? Do you love others like you love yourself? Right? We've, all had, we've all read through different scriptures or even heard things before. Or even, even if you aren't in the church, if you're just stumbled in here today and you're like, what the heck is going on? You know that you love you. Everything is circle around it. It's like with selfish ambition, we do so many things. Do you love others like that? Is your love for others motivated by your love for God? Again, let's read 1 John 4, 19. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. However, the challenge is in the the, the very next verses. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. 
If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen. Sorry, for if he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. You ever had like quarrels, strife, problems, arguments, whatever with, let's say your, your physical brother or your sister or coworker or boss or neighbor or stranger or whatever. You ever had that? Assumptive, the answer is yes across the board. Would at any point in time you say, I hate that guy, hate that girl? I have. Then you read that and you're like, it's, that's not good. So obviously it's therefore implied that our love for God is displayed by our love for others. Now I, much like you, can tend to give myself grace when answering those previous questions about myself. If you ask me, if Trevor's up here and he says, man, are you guys loving? I'm sitting in my seat like, yeah, of course I'm loving. Come on, Trevor. Of course we're, of course I'm loving. Right, it's like the natural benefit of the devil, like obviously I'm loving, come on. Or, I say I haven't done this lately, but I used to do this all the time. You convince yourself that, like, your intentions were great. Like, man, if, if this thing would have worked out like this, then I totally would have shared the gospel. But because it didn't, I'm going to have to wait till the next time. Like, the loving thing, if somebody doesn't know the Lord, the loving thing is to share the Lord with them. Nothing else. Certainly, there's other things that could transpire. You could invite somebody over for a meal and feed them and all the rest of it. But day to day, as we're walking around living life, our number one goal and mandate should be to engage with people to find out if they know the Lord. And if they don't, make them aware. That should be the number one goal. But again, if you're like me and you give yourself excuses like this, you convince yourself of great intentions or, you know, you give yourself benefit of the doubt, maybe you don't do that. The challenge for me, again, when I was thinking through this this week, is how would my family members and friends describe me and my love for them or for others? I think the telltale sign is, you know, I'll probably go ask my son after this, hey, Kai, <laughs> would you say that dad is loving? I, I hope his answer is yes. But if I know my son, he's probably going to be like, <laughs> the, the greater question, I think, certainly our family and friends, but they know us, they love us, they're going to give us grace. A challenging thought, and this is true, many, many of you that know me, we've had conversations about this over the last number of months. How would your coworkers describe you and your love for, for, for them or others? Does that, you know, transcend from like your life here today at church and Tuesday, Wednesday at work? Are you, you have the same hat in every room? Or is maybe, are maybe things a little bit different in the workplace than they are here? Should that be true? Should we not be consistent in every area? So a better, more pointed question might be, how many of you have bitterness and resentment in your heart even right now about something, whether it's with a family member, friend, coworker, neighbor, stranger? Are there certain people you don't talk to at work or in church, at your kids' games? I would ask you, are you representing Christ by doing so? Is, is that exemplary of the true love we're discussing? Are you harboring unforgiveness? Do you need to speak with somebody and either forgive them or ask them to forgive you? Honest truth, I had that for years with my dad. 
I got kicked out and it was like, I could care less what happens to him. For years, God used him and my mom to make me and then he raised me, sacrificially doing things for my benefit. And when we had our little squirrel, I was like, who cares? 100% living with unforgiveness. Praise God that's not the case today. But man, that heaviness and burden is like inward. He would have had no, no idea whatsoever. But it was just ripping me apart. It, if you have that, man, figure it out. Like come up afterwards, get prayer. Speak with whoever you need to speak with. Do you love one another enough to forgive each other? Husbands and wives. Brothers, sisters. Parents and children. Do you love one another, love one another enough to forgive each other with or without apology for the wrongs that have been done? That's, it's a one-way street. You actually don't need anybody to be on that team if you forgive somebody. You can just forgive them, regardless of their thoughts and feelings toward you. No permission required. But if you're like me, years ago, and you're honest with yourself, often we want to obtain every ounce of remorse and repentance from whoever has hurt us before we even consider forgiving them. I'll venture and guess it was five plus years that I was like never saying anything to him. Let him apologize to me. Can't believe he did what he did. Bitter. Because I acted out of line as a child and I got kicked out when I was 13. I'm like, good for you. Now I'm like, my dad's the man. He totally stood his ground and was like, yeah, kid, you think you got to figure it out? Go, let's see. I actually respect him tremendously for it. I can't say that I would do the same thing with my son right now, but still, hindsight, I was like, good for you. If I lived in your house, I'd kick me out too. See, the problem with that is, is that it's selfish and unloving. God doesn't do that. Thank God he didn't do that with me. And, and in your case, for you, thank God that he wasn't waiting for a certain set of circumstances to forgive you for all the things that you've done, all the things that you'll continue to do. See, John's essentially pleading with us throughout 1 John as he reminds us of the commands that should govern our lives. Forgiveness costs God his son on the cross. What does it cost you to forgive? Think through that. Forgiveness costs us our sense of justice or our righteous anger. You know, Jesus flipped the table once, so we all think it's okay to be mad. In The Fruitful Life by Jerry Bridges, he addresses this for us. He says, we all have an innate sense deep within our souls, but it has been perverted by our selfish, sinful natures. We want to see justice done, but the justice we envision satisfies our own interests. We must realize that justice has been done. God is the only rightful administrator of justice in all of creation, and his justice has been satisfied. In order to forgive our brother or sister, we must be satisfied with God's justice and forego the satisfaction of our own. I hope and pray that that is not you, but that, like I said, that was me for years. The sense of justice. This is, what's, this is what's going to transpire before I forgive. All of these things. My agenda. Selfish. Totally selfish. Not driven by love whatsoever. 
So you, there, you therefore can grow in love and practice exercising that love by forgiving others when they've wronged you. We read in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You see, we're, we're called to love as we've been loved and to forgive as we've been forgiven. You put those two together, and if you're truly exercising love, then love forgives at a great cost to itself, or in this case, to yourself. Which brings us back to 1 John 3.16 again. By this we know love, that he has laid down our life for us. Sorry, but that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. In the context of Jesus sacrificing, laying down his life for us, John's challenge to us that we ought to lay down our lives for others seems impossible. Because it's the ultimate sacrifice, the giving of your life for another. However, just read a couple of verses further. The application John provides is very tangible and practical for you and I. It reads in 1 John 3, 17 and 18, But if anyone has the world's good, goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or, in, or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, we must obey. However, it's obvious that the love we've been considering is only, can only be produced in our hearts by the Spirit of God. This isn't something we manifest in ourselves. I now am going to be loving. It's just not going to happen. And that there's also clearly a call to act. So there's God's work through the Spirit in us, and then there's us. We need to do something. That, the point that John makes about loving indeed and truth is like a both-and a both type of scenario. We are both totally dependent upon the Spirit working within us and totally responsible for our actions. Note that it's not a matter of willpower, I was just saying, but of a commanded responsibility to love. So the question is, how can you fulfill the command and your responsibility to love? Well, if you recognize that true love is produced by the Holy Spirit as an outpouring of God's love for you, and if you're going to honor the command and grow in true love, you must saturate your mind with Scripture. Scripture that describes love and its importance to us because the Spirit of God uses His Word to transform us. I can sit at home all day and be like, I want to be loving, I want to be loving, I want to be loving, I want to be loving. But the second I go out and somebody makes me upset, I'm probably not going to be loving. But if I'm saturated in the Word, if my time is spent in the Word, learning more about God, having His Spirit work in and through me, like converting, transforming me to be more Christ-like, the probability is that when I go out, if, if that was the case, instead of passing time, investing time in the Word. Not, not scrolling Instagram and Facebook and whatever the things are. I don't even know, man. I feel like I'm out of touch with, with like what happens nowadays. Everybody's on Instagram. I'm like, I don't know. There's a profile. I don't really go on it. But whatever we do to pass time, watch movies, watch TV, I don't know, work out. All those things are not bad in and of themselves. But if we're spending our time doing that and not in the Word, working out is not going to transform your life to be more loving. It's going to transform your body. That's good. That's healthy. But what, what's greater? Our, our, our love and knowledge and our, our growing in Christ-likeness should take priority. I lost my, my spot again here. There we go. So we must be studying God's word. The second thing you must do to honor the command and grow in love is pray for the Holy Spirit to apply his word in your heart and to your daily life. So we must be seeking the Lord in prayer. Lastly, you must do the things that love commands. Love others as yourself. Forgive others. Put other people's interests ahead of your own. Again, this is not a matter of willpower. But you must do all this independence, independence upon the Holy Spirit who works in us and will act... Sorry. Let me read that again. Again, this is not a matter of willpower, but you must do all this independence upon the Holy Spirit who works in us to will and act according to his good purpose. 
See, growing up playing football, my coaches always said, control the controllables. Like, do what is within your control. That's what I mean by that. So if I ask myself, what do I need to do? And if I'm asking you, what do you need to do this week? And the weeks leading, I guess, prior to this or beyond this, you can schedule time to read and study God's word. You can attend small groups. You can pray over your need to grow in love. You can inquire with friends and family or within the church about people who need your time or your help or your money. And you can plan to meet those needs. I think one of the greatest things that I recognize from the past, and I'm sure will come into our future, is when the church is truly communal. Like if you need something, we're there. We got you. If I need something, you're there. You got me. That, that's how it's supposed to be. Not even, not even within like, it's great that we, we do that within our small groups, but maybe when you're moving, not everybody in your small group's available. Maybe it should be like, hey, so-and-so is moving. We should all show up. The move should take like, you know, a couple hours and it's done. Instead of, hey, I'm moving and we all don't show up and, you know, Mike's moving by himself for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> right? Or, or having the humility to even ask for help. Man, if you're me, that is my, like, my detriment for sure. I got it. I'll figure it out. By myself, I will move this whole place. Like, it's ridiculous. So all of these things we can do and we must do if we're going to grow in love. Finally, in order to understand true love, we need to live the truth. How do you know the real thing? In anything. Not just true love. You compare and contrast the authentic from the imitation. I'm sure you've all heard the analogy before, but when teaching people to detect a fraudulent or counterfeit bill from the true authentic bill, they predominantly study the real one. Because anything that isn't the authentic one is a counterfeit. Likewise, how does love through the fruit of the Spirit look versus love displayed in the world, like we started with? This word prescribed to everything. Well, with a continued emphasis on love, let's jump to the way of love noted in 1 Corinthians 13 as a sample of comparing and contrasting. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But if you compare and contrast, love being patient and kind, even the world has their own definition of these things. They're obviously not the same, but if you compare and contrast, those things exist. So how do we know when it's the fruit of the Spirit versus the love of the world? Well, Michael had noted last week, when we display the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, in circumstances that would otherwise be contrary to displaying those fruits. Not in my notes, but Abe and I had a conversation months back about what, what it looks like when things kind of go sideways at work. And when, when you show up in a way that is contrary to how most people would show up in that scenario... Like if you, I don't know, let's say you're wrongfully dismissed. Are you like, okay, thanks for the next opportunity. <laughs> or are you like me and you're like irritable, mad, frustrated, maybe spiteful. I hope that's not you. But these are the things that happen. Or, you, you know, you lend money to a sibling and they're going to pay you back. But you and I both know they're never going to pay you back. 
right? Like, you know, as soon as they ask, you're like, this is gone. <laughs> and we had years of that where I, I would be mad because I'm like, you said you're going to pay me back. Just pay, just do what you said. Then over time, I'm like, what am I doing? What does it even matter? He'd ask for money. I'm like, keep it. I never want to see it. And then they're like, no, 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 I will pay you back. I'm like, I never want to see it again. Because the end result, if I'm waiting, I'm frustrated. I'm mad. Like, do the thing you said you were going to do. I hope that's not true of you, but like, it could be. We could be that same person. So, yeah, now I'm back. I was like, where did I leave off here? As a tangible expression of love, I enjoyed reading Jerry Bridges' expression of love by rephrasing 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and 6 in, the, in his book, The Fruitful Life. It says, I am patient. Pay attention here. I am patient with you because I love you and want to forgive you. I am kind to you because I love you and I want to help you. I do not envy your possessions or your gifts because I love you and I want you to have the best. I do not boast about my attainments because I love you and I want to hear about yours. I am not proud because I love you and I want to esteem you before myself. I am not rude because I love you and I care about your feelings. I am not self-seeking because I love you and I want to meet your needs. I am not easily angered by you because I love you and I want to overlook your offenses. I do not keep a record of wrongs because I love you and love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I pray these statements were more affirming to you than they were challenging, but some of those statements were challenging for me. So I challenge you and ask you in the rephrasing of those same things, does that describe how you love? Are you patient with others because you love them and want to forgive them? Are you kind to others because you love them and want to help them? You're not envious of others' possessions or their gifts because you love them and you want, to, you want them to have the best. You don't boast about your attainments because you love them and you want to hear about theirs. You're not proud because you love them and you want to esteem them before yourself. You're not rude because you love them and care about their feelings. You're not self-seeking because you love them and want to meet their needs. You're not easily angered by them because you love them and want to overlook their offenses. You do not keep a record of wrongs because you love them and love covers a multitude of sins. When you read those things, whether it's like I'm reading them to you or I'm reading them about you, there's an impact. I mean, being honest with you, I don't think it's a secret if you know me, but you're not easily angered by them because you love them and want to overlook their offenses. Men, just think on that. You're raising young men. I don't know. I'm grateful my dad raised me the way that he did, but you're, you're instructing young men, and it's like you want them to be principled and, like, sound and loving. So the, the restrictions are tight. Like, man, I'm like, you hold that door for your mom. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You open that door. You wait. Like, he holds the door, and he's like, his butt's in the door. I'm like, Get up, man, people can't walk through. But, like, I, I read that this week in both circumstances. Like, I'm the one preparing this, and I'm, like, wrecked. I'm like, man, do the thing. The way that you're supposed to do the thing. 
easily angered. Frustrated because it's not exactly like I'd like it. He's six. Like, in my world, he's six going on 30. I'm like, get it together, boy. Like, let's go. I am not easily angered by you because I love you and I want to overlook your offenses. That's not even offensive. It's just not doing the thing I said when I, when I said to do it. Like, I'm just being honest and transparent with you guys. These are real things. You have them in your life too. What's the challenge? Where are, we, where are we not loving? Where do we need to be loving? In our home, in the workplace, here? Is somebody wrong you here? Go talk to them after. Don't let that stuff last. The longer it persists, it grows legs. The story becomes something that it's not. We all know it. You have like this self-preserving nature that is like, well, this happened and this and this and this. And you're like, none, none of those other things happened. That's like in your head. Something happened, you were mad, offended, that's it. Go talk to them about it. Here, anywhere, family members. Man, for years with my brothers. Just squabbling back and forth about nothing. Useless things. Things that don't matter whatsoever. Not in light of eternity. So, I've kind of been making this assumption already. I'll go out on a limb and make the assumption that some of you, some of those things were convicting the first time around and certainly the second time. You see, if there's one thing to know the command, but it's an entirely different thing to obey the command, like I said. If you go to church for any length of time, you know this. This isn't new. There's no like, wow, Ray really brought something new and exciting. Nope. Nothing new and exciting here. Just a parrot. Read what the word says. Here it is. Convicted probably more than all of you. So I know it's easier said than done. But let's think through that. How much have you been forgiven? We're just going to go back to that. Honestly, think of all the known sins from your past, or even those that come to mind, maybe from this week. What has been overlooked in your life, and how much have you been forgiven in light of what Jesus has done for you? For those reasons alone, we should be more than willing to forgive others and to live a life that displays love. Again, I'm not suggesting that this will or is going to be easy by any means whatsoever. Because none of us is perfect and we all fail in so many ways, like numerous. However, according to John, the, word should, the world should be able to look at you and I and this church and see something that demonstrates the reality of God. People should see God in action here, in and through you. If nobody else in here was living out love, somebody should come in and see you and that should be enough. That person right there, loving, kind, gracious, not an agenda, not like we got to boogie out of here because we got to do our thing, right? Your next thing in order. Take a minute. Stop. Have a conversation. Meet somebody. Love them. Truly get to know them. So God loved us. Sorry, God loved us so that we ought to love one another. Remember, the first fruit of the Spirit is part of our witness for Christ. People can't see God, but they can see you. When you live... The truth that God develops his love, sorry, when you live the truth that God develops in your life. I've never seen Christ. But man, the, Carol? You all had a Carol. It might not have been the same story, but somebody informed you of your wickedness and the fact that Jesus died for you. That, whoever that person is, that's your Carol. They are exemplary. 
in showing love. So I want to encourage you in this to not be idle, but to put on the new self as noted in Colossians 3, 1 through 17, but specifically 3, 12 uh, through 14. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, in, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So finally, we'll close with a reminder that if we don't have love, we have nothing at all. The beginning of, of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in tongues of men and angels and do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Whatever we're in pursuit of, if it's not through the lens of love, by the love that was first extended to you from Christ, there's nothing in it. Empty, depleted, likely through selfish ambition, whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish, that's probably what is guiding that. But it says if we don't have love, we have nothing. I mean, I don't even know how long we've been going, but we've only scratched the surface on love but today I'd encourage you to study God's word and pursue Christ-likeness. The more you pursue and understand the true love we've been discussing here today, the love from God in you through the Holy Spirit, the easier time you'll have discerning what love is from the spirit versus from the flesh. Do not attribute that word love to all of these other things. Be mindful, especially after today, what real love is. Sacrificially loving others. Putting yourself last. Putting others before yourself. So I pray that you've been challenged and encouraged, like Michael said last week, to be a man or woman that abides in the spirit and embodies love to those around you. Just remember that in order to know what true love really is and experience it in your own life, you must know the source, obey the command, and live the truth. Let's pray. Father God, I come before you, Lord, humbly, grateful for the work that you've done in my life this week. And to be honest, reiterated here again today, Lord, I pray that your, your word was proclaimed truthfully and boldly, that it impacted hearts and minds of those in the room, Father God, and that this congregation, Lord, would better represent you in and out, or in, or sorry, out in the world as we leave here, Father. Not just today, not this week, but every day, every week moving forward as we continue to grow in our knowledge and understanding of you and love. Lord, I pray that we would represent you much like Carol did in my life, Father God, to many others that many would come to a saving knowledge of you because the people in this room are exemplary in how they display love, true love. Lord, I'm grateful for the work that you've done in my life. Lord, I pray that that, that, that would be true of all of us and that we honor and glorify you today as we leave this place and that we reconcile with others, Father, as you've called us to do, as, as, the, as, the, as you've commanded us. And, and Lord, I pray that we would obey that command, that we would see brothers and sisters, family members and friends, and that we would truly forgive each other from, from like genuine sincerity and not just lip service. So Lord, I, I praise you for the ways that you work. I praise you for the opportunity, Lord. And I pray that it, it, your, your word did not go out void. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.